All right, good morning, church family. Um, I am preaching today. I wasn't scheduled to preach today. Um, Pastor Dan Christian was, uh, uh, been, has been laboring for weeks to preach this sermon. And um, the staff got an email from him on Thursday, and he was on his way up to Portland to see his ailing father. And they've gathered all the siblings and to be up in Portland. And uh, his father's been in and out of the hospital. And so it's a very trying time for them right now. So he, he did the right thing. He's with us, uh, ministering to his father and his, his siblings and his mother. And so before we start the sermon, you know, as we know, any part of our family is hurting, we feel it too, to some extent. So let's pray. I'm going to open up in prayer. I'm going to leave a, op- a time of open time for you to offer your prayers to the Lord. So let's just pray and, and, and come before the Lord and inter- intercede for Brother Dan. Father, I thank you for uh, Brother Dan. Thank you for the soldier that he is. Thank you for his faithfulness in serving the church, your church family here at Evergreen SGV. Thank you that he is doing his duty in joy as a son and, and being there for his father and, and, his, and his siblings and his mother. God, I pray, Lord, that you encourage the Christian family, Lord. Thank you that his father is in you. He is a believer. And God, I just, I just pray for Dan, encouragement for him and his entire family, Lord. Father, I thank you for these prayers of the saints praying for their brother, our brother, Lord, and I just pray, Lord, that you will be glorified through this situation. I pray ultimate comfort and encouragement will come through the gospel, through knowing you, Lord Jesus. No matter what transition, what trial we're going through, we could trust in you. Father, I pray for this sermon. I pray this sermon will bring you much glory and honor. I pray we will be faithfully be able to preach your word with power and conviction by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. So, Father, I pray we will love you more through this sermon so that we will trust you more and become more like you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be out of Timothy, and as Dan, uh, uh, as a leadership uh, uh, decided that I'd be able to preach for him, the Lord is, goes before us. This is the, sermon, the text that Dan chose for this, Pastor Dan chose for this sermon is out of 1 Timothy. And Timothy is where I've been meditating on personally. And if you want to know what to, how to be a pastor, you read 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. These are pastoral letters written by Paul to his understudies, Timothy and Titus. So as I'm transitioning in my own role as Evergreen's pastor, I've been digging into Timothy. I find th- this book puts fire in my bones and puts conviction on what I'm called to do as a pastor. And so this is the, the Lord. He, he had it all planned out ahead of time. And we're going to be at our First Timothy chapter four, uh, verse six. But as you're turning there, um, this is a pastoral letter, like I talked about, instructing uh, Timothy, Paul's understudy, how to be a pastor. And there's a couple of challenges that are facing Timothy in the church at Ephesus, where he's a lead pastor. There, Paul warns them there are uh, false teachers that are risen amongst you. These these aren't false teachers that come from outside the church. These are false teachers from within. And quite possibly some of these false teachers were his fellow elders, his own friends. Okay, so he is called to confront them, confront false teaching, confront the false uh, teachers. 
Because this is a very challenging thing. And, and this is a letter written by Paul to in, equip and to encourage Timothy to be faithful. All right? And, and I certainly find great encouragement in this. But you may say, hey, Rocky Wall, not everyone's called to be a pastor. True, not everyone's called to the office of pastor. However, if you are a Christian, we are all ministers of the gospel. And I know you desire to be found faithful someday. So let's rise and let's go to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Verse 8, for bodily discipline is of only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Verse 10, for, it is, uh, for this we labor and strive, the Bible says, because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is a Savior of all men, especially of believers. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your Bible. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that we get to dig into your word to be equipped, to be encouraged in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, please have a seat. Okay, so Paul is immersed in the Roman Empire. The, cult, the Roman culture was is obsessed with sports. They had the Olympic Games going on. They had the Isthmian Games going on. So Paul understood this. It would not have surprised me if Paul was a sports guy at all. And he used sports metaphors, athletic metaphors, to teach spiritual truths. It's all over his letters, not just in Timothy. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I was brought to remembrance a question people used to ask me from time to time, and just independent people, okay? And, and I coached uh, ball for 18 years. And, and we had game day. Football is played once a week on a Saturday for college or Sunday for the professional uh, league. And people once in a while get, come to me and say, hey, Rocky, that's awesome that you get to coach. Um, what do you do for the rest of the week? Do you have like another job or something? And in my mind, I'm like, what? Right? My wife is an AYSO soccer coach, and even there, they practice Monday, Wednesday, and then they play on Saturdays, and she's constantly thinking about how to prepare the players. And this, obviously, they don't quite understand the commitment level that it takes to be an elite athlete. Okay, obviously, you know, and, um, and it's very, they're asking very innocently. They're not trying to be mean or anything. I mean, the whole week as a football coach is spent from, from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you play the game, or Sunday, you play, it's preparing the players to be at their peak performance. And this is physical training, this technique training, this is uh, studying film, studying plays, to, uh, so that when Sunday, when game time, hap game time happens, you're just flying. You're not thinking. You're just playing to the best of your ability when your best is needed. And this wasn't just a week-to-week -week thing. This was an annual thing. I mean, the players would be invested in working out every day throughout the whole year. Okay, the, the whole idea was remaining right so you don't have to get right. You know, you're ready. You're constantly ready as if, you, as if you're ready to play the game every week. And this is the urgency and the seriousness that sports demands at, a, at the elite level. 
Okay, and this is where Paul is appealing to that level of seriousness. I mean, the athletes, these athletes I got to be around, even myself in my younger days, were submitted to a rigorous training regimen. And this meant that their diet was planned out, what to eat, how much to eat, when to eat it. There was weight training involved. You're throwing weights above your head uh, and, 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 and being powerful as possible. You're running up hills, downhills, working on your speed. You're working on your technique, whatever sport that you play on. You're absolutely consumed. I remember for myself, before I became a Christian, I didn't like to read much other than the sports page, all right? Or like a, a biography, a autobiography of a great coach or a great football or athlete. I wanted to know how these guys thought. I wanted to know how these guys trained. I wanted to have their mind. So this is the, this is the commitment level that athletes go to. Now, why, why so intense? Why, why are athletes so motivated? Well, I mean, there's the obvious, you know, to be able to compete and, and for a championship, maybe certain achievements, certain ambitions. That's one. But in particular in the game of football, I'm not quite sure about other sports, but it's about self-preservation, too. So you, you avoid getting destroyed. What I mean by that? You know, people just don't come out of the stands and take on the 240-pound fullback. You're going to get crushed if you do that, okay? You will get hurt. So in football, the training is not just for performance. It's so that you can protect yourself. So when the challenges come, you're ready to meet those challenges on. Just like life, isn't it? When the challenges of life, transitions, trials come, you want to be girded up, ready to take these things on. And, you know, it's, the athletes made a conscious decision of will to be submitted and devoted to their sports. That's what it is. It's a very conscious decision. This isn't something just, you just fail into. You wake up in the morning, this is how I'm, gonna, I'm resolved to be this way. And... It's a way of life, which and you, the more you live this way of life, you become transformed and hopefully to the, become the elite athlete that you want to become. That's how it works. It's a way of life. It's not just a game day thing. Every day is a game day. And so my question for you Christians is this. What do you do for the rest of the week? Other than Sunday, what does Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday look like for you? Are you constantly training or is game day just Sunday for you and that's it? It's just, it's just as silly as the question that was asked to me. You know, do you, have a diff- do you wear, put on a different hat when you leave this building? This is, this is what Paul is challenging all of us today as we go through 1 Timothy. And in particular, specifically, he was challenging and pre- preparing Timothy, his understudy, to be faithful and to, to be at his best when his best was needed. And as I, we talked about, like, you know, like, there's a big challenge ahead of Timothy at Ephesus. And Paul was coaching him up. He was preparing him. He was equipping him. And he was, Paul was prescribing to the young, younger Timothy exactly how to get right and to stay right. All right? So that he could be faithful. So he could be found faithful. And Paul gives four distinct steps. Four distinct steps in just, just these few verses. You're able to glean that much out of these few verses and how to get right and to stay right. All right? Now, point number one, okay? In training, you have to have your nutrition right. You have to eat well. For example, trained athletes eat good foods, all right? And it's a routine. It's like you have to have the right protein and carbohydrate ratio, right amount of fats. You're taking the right supplements that you need to maintain your, the health of your body. 
and you ate at a certain time, in particular after working out or practice, you need to eat a lot of protein so you can recover and build muscle. That's just how it works. It was a very routine, very structured deal. And this is the, 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 the trained athlete has a disciplined mind. His mind controls the body. All right, he's able to say no to things that could be hurtful, harmful to his body. Now, the untrained athlete is different. He's junk food. He's, he's uh, guzzling all the boba that he could get his hands on. He's, you know, he's, he's out in the bars partying, uh, putting, pouring alcohol into his body. Now, I get it. There's some ridiculously talented athletes that could still excel at that, but they're not going to be as good as they can be. We're talking about peak performance, guys. There is no routine in the untrained athlete. Eating is haphazard. It's just kind of like whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to take it in when I can. Undisciplined mind, which allows their bellies to control the athlete, their bodies. Their bellies are controlling them, and they are unable to say no. This is the untrained athlete. And verse 6 here at the second part, I want to read this part. Verse 6 and part of verse 7, the second half of verse 6. It says, constantly nourished. You hear that? Constantly nourished. This is a routine. This is a way of life. On the words of the faith and of, of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Verse 7, but have nothing, do not eat, to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. It says you are nourished on one of two things, on good food, the word of God, or bad food, junk food, which is worldly fables. And good servants of Christ eat well. Trained ministers feed on the words of faith, sound doctrine, feed on God's word. That's what good trained ministers do. They're constantly saturated by God's word. That's how it works. And, and there's a routine. It's reading the scriptures, studying the Bible is very normal. This isn't like a haphazard thing. And there's an optimal time. You know when you're on. You know when you're uh, mentally at your best to, to, hear, to read and to hear from the Lord as you study the scriptures. For me, it's first thing in the morning. Early. Five o'clock in the morning, sometimes early, sometimes a little bit later. It's early. I want to spend time with Christ. I want to read his word. For you, maybe afterwards, after, at night, when everyone's down, or maybe at the lunch break that you have, hey, this is my time to spend time with the Lord. But it's a very normal routine. Just like the athlete will eat food at the optimal time, there's optimal times to read and study the scriptures. That's how it works. And the, 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 the trained minister has an appetite for truth. They hunger. I can't wait to spend time with God. Oh, too bad I got to go to work now. I wish I had more time to feed on God's word. And the trained minister is trained up on how to study the word so that he or she is able to understand what the author meant when he wrote it. What did God mean when he had this author write it? The untrained minister, what does he feed on? It says worldly fables. What is that? Myths, false teachings, human wisdom, major in worldly philosophy. The, the untrained minister has a peculiar interest for worldly things. Above and beyond. And I understand. I mean, I have a certain sense, certain idea of our culture. But that's not where we major. That's not where we live. We do that so we kind of have an idea and have a sense of what's going on, but we're not trying to be like that. The untrained minister has, this, has, this, uh, has no routine in studying the scriptures and feeding on God's word. In Ephesus, where Timothy was the pastor, they had, they had a fascination with the occult. 
They're into magic. There's all kinds of competing things to be into. And the untrained minister has no appetite for the, for the word. Minimal appetite for the but incredible appetite for the world. And so the first thing that, that, that Paul talks about is we need to eat well. Any athlete knows you have to eat well in order to have a strong, fit body. All right? If you want to be a trained minister, a strong minister of the gospel, you need to be saturated with God's word. Period. And then right here in verse 9, I just want to draw our attention to verse 9. It says, Paul writes, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. What is Paul talking about? He's basically talking about in verse 7, at the end of 7 8, is this that godliness surpasses the importance of bodily discipline. You could train up your body and be fit and in shape, fast and agile, and there's profitability to that. There's no question. But godliness is far more superior, Paul says. You could trust this, Paul's saying. You could trust this. And he's making a clear case here. And their culture in, in, Ephes, in Ephesus was, it was consumed with the external. Our culture today is absolutely obsessed with the emphasis, uh, having emphasis on the external. I mean, we're obsessed with hanging on to our youthfulness, having, being fit. I mean, if health clubs are all over the place. You're, we're always constantly talking about diets and the newest ways to lose weight. And, I, and I'm into fitness too. But the issue is not am I taking care of my body. The issue is are you taking care of your body more than your spirit, your spiritual life? That's the issue. Paul's not saying don't take care of your bodies. We should. We should steward what God has given us, but not above our very growth of our, uh, in our Christian life. What are some of the benefits? And the Bible clearly said there's some benefit, there's little profit for, for physical discipline. I mean, what are the benefits of physical training? I mean, you'll have more energy, uh, you'll, be able, you, you'll be bodily fit, you know, you, your body will be nice and fit. You know, you may be more effective if you play sport on the basketball court or, or, or the fields to make plays and do well. Those are important things. You may be able to achieve certain fading rewards. But I tell you, even at my peak when I was training and, and the athletes, when they train, I mean, if you skip about three weeks, you start to lose stuff already, let alone turning 40 like I am, 42 like I am now, right? I mean, age will take that away from you. We know this. We know this. But even a young person who's trained at, at his prime, if you miss three weeks of workout, stuff starts to diminish already. That's how temporary the, uh, this is. So why, Paul's saying, why are we investing so much in something that's so temporary? What are the benefits of spiritual training? Sanctification. You become more like Christ. Does that have present day value? Absolutely. You'll be an incredible blessing to the church and your family. And also in the next life as well. What about, uh, is this eternal? Absolutely. This is not... The things do not diminish in three weeks. This is eternal. Whatever treasures that you store up eternally, this is eternal. This is forever. Now, we, we talked about making plays for your team. Well, what about making plays for the kingdom, being effective as a kingdom man or a kingdom woman? This is critical. What you do for Christ today will last forever. And what about those rewards that we will have? Eternal crowns. We sing about these things. Do you think about these things that God will give us someday treasures in heaven? 
So Paul is just merely saying that spiritual training is way more profitable than bodily training. Now, I understand this. I mean, at our church, I, I really believe here at Evergreen SUV, we understand excellence. I see excellence everywhere I walk around. People are accomplished, people are educated, people are hardworking, people are efficient, industrious. I see this everywhere, very commendable. And we understand the value of school and education. We know how to grind. We know how to put it through during midterm times, finals times, taking the courses to get our uh, uh, GPA and SAT scores up, to get into the college. We understand the discipline to get this done. Because we're motivated by, if I get into the right school, get the right degree, I'll get the right job. We understand excellence in the workplace, in our careers. We know how to do well. We know how to put it in. We know how to do this. Perhaps the motivation is to get a higher pay or the paycheck that we have right now or get the promotion that we always wanted. There's some incredible motivations here. And yet we understand how to build up a good reputation. We know how to do this, but all these things, Paul says, is, is temporary. All these things will fade away someday. So it, number one, training emphasis, number one, is about nutrition. We have to be feeding on God's word. Paul transitions your second training emphasis is exercise. Let's read uh, uh, chapter se- second part of verse 7 here. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Exercise, train yourself. For, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. For godliness is profitable for all things. That's what we just talked about. Since it holds promise for the life, uh, for the present life and also for the life to come. Discipline, this word discipline in the original language is where we get the word gymnasium. All right, discipline, in other words, is about training, getting ready. And it says, to, in essence, to make oneself obey or be, have yourself under control. This is the idea, this is the picture of discipline here. Training, getting yourself right, putting yourself under control. And we understand this in, in the physical realm. I mean, we did it all. I mean, we did power cleans, we used to do bench, we used to squat, we used to run up and down hills to get faster, we used to stretch all day till we were nice and flexible, we used to work our bump and run techniques, we knew this. This is what we did. But what are the spiritual exercises that, that we can do? I mean, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but here are some that we should, these are the fundamentals here. Do we study God's word? Are we studying God's word constantly, feeding on it daily? It's, this is so important that Paul talks about it right from the beginning. Are we praying to God? Are we praying to our best friend Jesus constantly? Are we constantly in former times of prayer? Or as we're walking, as we're talking to people, as we're looking to minister to others, are we constantly having this conversation with the Lord? Lord, help me. Help me. Change this person's heart. Are, are we constantly connected to our Lord? Are we focusing on the, the exercise of fellowship? Fellowshipping with one another. The church other Christians, you're part of this church. Are you part of a branch? Are you in discipleship? Are you discipling someone or someone discipling you? Just like how Paul's discipling Timothy. Remember in training, I remember I, when I used to try to work out, let's say on my own, I, you know, I was okay. But some magic happened when you get a bunch of guys together working out, encouraging each other, spotting each other, yelling at each other. It becomes, it's a lot more fun too. The Christian life is not an a, 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 a isolated life. This is a communal thing. This is why we get together. This is why we get together. Are you 
exercising your spiritual muscles by exercising the spiritual gifts you got, serving in the kingdom. Whatever gifts God gave you, are you exercising those gifts to bless the kingdom? Are we committed to resting so we recover? Anyone who's ever worked out, who's gone on like a long jog or marathon knows that you need to rest your body. That's all part of the training. You can't just keep wearing it down. So these are some of the basic fundamentals. Now, now what are we exercising for? It says, for we are purpose for godliness. It says, what is godliness? All right, godliness, in, in essence, carries in the original language, language this internal fear, an internal reverence, an internal proper respect for God. You rightfully see God for who he is. This is what godliness is. Do I see God for who he is? I like to call this the awe factor. Are we in absolute awe of the God of the universe who created everything? Therefore, we get to know him. Therefore, we display more godliness in our own lives. It's just a response of knowing our Lord, who he is. Are we in absolute awe of who God is? See, understand, when we work out, you want to get bigger, stronger. You want to become a better football player, better tennis player, better basketball. There's a goal in mind. The reason why we exercise spiritual disciplines is this, to, be, to know God more. That's really the goal. That's the goal. And, and when you know God more, you will become more like him. Third thing, the first training th- uh, emphasis Paul made is nutrition, eating on God's word. Second thing that we just talked about was spiritual exercise, spiritual disciplines. Thirdly, what Paul talks about is full effort. All right, let's read here, verse 10 here at the beginning. For it is for this we labor and strive. What is this? To achieve godliness, we labor and strive. There is absolutely no substitute for hard work no matter what you do whether it's in the spiritual life, the sports life, the business life, home life, anything that's of value takes effort, great effort at that. And this word labor means this. It means working to the point of exhaustion. You are wearied. You're tired. It's just like when you're doing those one tans, your lungs are burning because it's hot and smoggy. Your legs are throbbing. When you got done lifting weights, you can't even wash your hair sometimes because you push your body so much. You could barely get out of bed sometimes because your legs are shot from doing the squat regiment and doing the power cleans. This is how much what Paul's talking about. Are we straining, pushing ourselves that hard? We understand this in the athletic world, but are we pushing and laboring that hard with our spiritual disciplines? Look at this next word. You're going to love this shirt. For it, is, for it is for this we labor and strive. This word means to agonize. Are we agonizing over what we're doing? Are we straining? Are we competing? Are we battling? Are we fighting for godliness? I mean, there's absolutely nothing sedentary but Paul's words right here. The Christian life is not a sedentary life. There's absolutely nothing casual about being a Christian. It is an all-in type of mentality. It takes everything you got, physical, mental, spiritual, give it all you got. After all, Christ gave us everything, did he not? He calls and demands for that type of commitment, all in to grow godliness in, our, in us. And I love this, you know, um, many athletes, I've been around some great athletes. I mean, the best elite athletes I've been around are the most committed and unfortunately, many athletes who may or may not be Christians 
put many Christians to shame because they are so committed, so devoted to something so fleeting as athletics, it puts many of us to shame to show how devoted we are in comparison to how devoted we are to Christ and the eternal benefits of being godly. It's a reproach on Christians, some Christians, many Christians. There's absolutely no substitute for hard work and intensity. To become more like Christ is the goal, to have Christ formed in you. This is the goal of the pastors of everyone in this church here, to have Christ formed in you. This is why we do this. And it's not about talent or gifting. I get it. When I was coaching, there were some ridiculously talented people off the charts, and they're just average guys like myself. So it's not about your spiritual giftings or, or anything like that, but it's about effort, intensity. It doesn't take any uh, uh, giftings. There's absolutely no substitution for effort and intensity. So the three things that we talked about is this, nutrition, training, emphasis number one. Emphasis number two, exercise, spiritual disciplines. Number three, we talked about full effort. And number four, probably the most important uh, aspect that Paul talks about is motivation. Any athlete who is hopeless, meaning who has no like, chance to start or ever to play or to be part of a winning team, it, it loses motivation. No hope means no motivation. Okay? The hopeless athlete will quit when things get difficult. He will quit. He or she will quit. There's no motivation. Now, right here at 10, verse 10, look at where Paul just directs his beloved Timothy. I love this. Second part of verse 10. Because we have fixed, see that? Fixed, laser focus, our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Okay, just a little quick side note. This is, Paul's not preaching universalism where everyone's saved. Paul, I believe, is talking about just a common grace that all people are able to enjoy some goodness in this life. But especially, he's talking about degree. Degree that a Christian, a brother or sister in Christ, has full salvation. And so right here, but right here, this is where Paul draws Timothy's eyes to his, the hope that lies within him. Our hope is in a certain and living God, the Bible says right here. Not a dead idol, not a dead, rusting idol. We, we put our hope in God, the living God, the one and only. And this is the motivation. This hope springs forth incredible motivation. When you are burning as an athlete, you're running up the hill, and you're running, and you're tired, and you're discouraged, but you know what? I cannot stop. I will not stop. So as you go through your Christian life, trials are going to happen. It's going to get hard. People will abandon you. You think Timothy was abandoned a little bit at Ephesus? His own elders were abandoning him. But his hope didn't lie in his fellowship, in his friends. His hope lied in Christ. So I'm not going to stop. You're right, Paul. When you get knocked down, and you will get knocked down in this Christian life, and something inside you screams, Get up! Get up the ground. Don't you dare stop. 
there's going to be those moments in time where you need that voice. The Spirit of God raises up and you said, get up. This is Paul. He, what a, he would have been an incredible football coach. I know that. <laughs> like any good coach, Paul's is simply reaffirming and instilling hope in Timothy. Because this is a tough situation. Sometimes all you need to do is, hey man, it's going to be okay. Christ is with you. I know these other guys, everyone may turn on you, but Christ is with you. It's going to be okay. You may be struggling right now in, in transition. You may be studying, uh, struggling in some kind of physical, emotional trial, but it's going to be okay. Christ is with you. This is where you fix your hope in, in Christ, the living God. And this is a certain hope that leads to an unstoppable resolve. This hope within us leads to an unstoppable resolve. I will not be denied. I will be faithful to Christ. My reward will be in Christ. It doesn't even matter if everyone turns from you, Timothy. Your reward is in Christ. It sure seemed like many close to him were turning on Timothy. Is this not the type of person you want to be? I mean, you think of this like someone is unstoppable because Christ dominates your life so much that, you know what, no matter what happens, I will be faithful by God's grace. This is what I desire for my church family here, that we become men and women, have this incredible resolve, not because of your own toughness, not because of your own experience, but because Christ, you have completely fixed your hope in the living God, Jesus Christ, that you have an unstoppable resolve. This is my hope and desire for this church because it's going to get harder. This culture is not coming alongside us. It's not going to be like, it's not going to get any easier from this moment on. And it's going to take incredible leaders to step up and show themselves in this time that lives are submitted and dominated by Christ. Now, uh, we went through these four things. I just want to keep quickly review. Proper nutrition. <coughs> doing the right spiritual exercises, giving full effort and intensity in seeking after Christ through these disciplines. Fourthly, having proper motivation rooted in our hope in Christ. Now, you, it's important for a coach to constantly remind his players or her players not to forget why we do these things. I remember times where, you know, our, our players would, it's be, it would be hot. We're losing. We're in the visiting stadium, and they're booing us and mocking the team. And, I could, and I'm upstairs in a press box and say, what am I going to say at halftime? What, what are the men saying? And I could hear over the headset, they gather me, hey, look, this is why you've been lifting all them weights. This is why you've been studying. This is why you've been training and working on your technique for moments like this. This is where you get to show yourself, show yourself what you've been doing. You live for these moments to be able to inspire the men to say, yeah, you're right, coach. This ain't over yet. And athletes to do this, do, do, do all these things, incredible physical things and mental things to perform on game day. We need to be reminded as a church family, why do we study the word of God? Is it just for head knowledge? Absolutely not. It's to know Christ, 
Do we spend time in prayer? Do we spend time in fellowship? Why do we come to church? Why are we part of the branch? Is it just to make good friends? Or is it for godliness? So that you have a proper view who God is. You're, you have the awe factor dominating your life. So that no matter what's happening, you say, you know what? My God is bigger than anything going on. You want transition? That's transition. You say, God, you transcend this world and say, God, you're bigger than anything else going on. And, you know, like, you need to be at your best when, the, when it's called upon. It, it isn't good enough to be at your best at church. I mean, this is the, as easy as it gets. This is like practice. This is like the walkthrough before the game. It, I mean, I know there's some challenges. I get that, but this is as easy as it gets. You don't want to be necessarily at your best on Sunday. I need to be at my best because this is where I serve, but you, you don't want necessarily, most of you guys don't serve on the Sunday in this way, in the way I do, in the way that the pastors do. And just a little illustration, my family, my wife, my children, we've been going through transition. I know we've been going through a transition as a church family, but we've been going through transition. And you know what we're relying on? We're relying on all the, all the Bible times. We're relying, relying on all the prayers. We've been relying on encouragement from the saints to make the decision to come here and now to live it out. You don't just show up on game, be out of the stands, and take on that 240-pound fullback. It, you build up to this thing. Coach Carroll, uh, I love this man. He's a dear friend, and what a giant in my life. Think about him often. And one of the people that he was influenced, and I was influenced by his name, a guy named John Wooden, Coach John Wooden of UCLA. And evidently, he understood at least towards the end of his coaching career, how to have his players at their best when their best was needed. I mean, he won 10 national championships out of the last 12 years of his coaching. 10 out of 12, what? That's crazy, right? Who does stuff like that? 10 out of the last 12 years? And competition was huge at our, at our uh, football teams. Coach Carroll taught competition. What does it mean to compete? And more, John Wooden had a saying or this concept called competitive greatness. What is competitive greatness? He said this, to be at your best when your best is needed. Enjoyment of a difficult challenge. To be at your best when your best is needed. And so that you're not just great on practice, but you're great at the national championship game too. And how did he actually instill this? You know, there's a, in the Bible talks about if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful much. He treated, meaning Coach John Wooden treated the inner squad scrimmage. This is uh, like a game that you play, you split your team in half and you just play a game and you practice like it's a game. He treated that practice or that game, inner squad scrimmage game, with the same level of intensity and focus that he did the national championship game. So in essence, he was trained to be faithful in the little things so that when the big test happens, you're faithful in the bigger things. So how does that work? Let's be at our best at this inner squad scrimmage. All right, great. Then we play a regular season game. Great. Then we get into conference play. Great. Then we get into tournament play. Great. Then we get into the championship game. Great. You just stay the same the whole time. This is how it works. He tried to make it normal. And... It's a shame if you're only at your best at practice. 
man, he was the best practice player I've ever been around. That's all right. But if you're playing in the games, which we're all called to be in the game, you need to function in the game when the trials happen, when the transition happens, when opportunities to serve Christ comes up, you're ready. You are ready. So you don't get destroyed by the 240-pound fullback in life. All right, this is how this works. You learn to trust in your preparation. There's spiritual training. This is what Paul is talking about. By being spiritually trained, you grow to know Christ more. You hear what I'm saying? You train, the goal is what? To know Christ more, to be in awe of Christ. The more you know Christ, the more you're trusting Christ. The more you trust in Christ, there's a better chance you're going to obey him when your best is called upon. Very succinct, very clear what Paul's talking about. All that is in just these few verses. Isn't that incredible? Isn't God's word incredible? When the trials come, you will be ready. So you prepare yourself. You prepare yourself. <laughs> Let's get back to Timothy. I love this name. Our, our youngest son is named Timothy. And the reason why we chose this name for him is Timothy means to honor God. Did Timothy live up to his namesake? Did he live up to honoring God with the calling that God's given him? Who would want this? But this is the calling that God's given him. Timothy was trained up and exhorted to take on and confront these false teachers in Ephesus. They had risen up in the church. Now look at, let's go to verse 6 here. This is, the, this is the, uh, the test here for him. For us too in some ways. Verse 6. In pointing out these things, these false teachers confronting error to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, the Bible says right there. That was what he was called to do, confronting the false teachers, correcting error, and he will be proved to himself to be a good servant of Christ. Now, how did Timothy end up? Tradition has it in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, says that he died in 97 A.D., roughly around 80 years old, okay? It says this, he was upholding the truth of the Bible. He was the bishop of Ephesus, the lead elder of Ephesus, the overseer of Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. But he was murdered when he told the crowd of pagans that their idolatrous celebrations were ridiculous. This man was found to be faithful. As far as we know, this man was found to be faithful. My question, my brothers and sisters, is this. Will you be found to be faithful? Will you hear on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what I desire for the church family here. This is what this is about. Train yourself for godliness. Be in awe of Christ. So you'll be ready to go. It's really about how, God, how big is your God, our God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Lord, we thank you for Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy. I know it puts fire in my bones to do the work that you called me to do, and I thank you for this. Father, I pray for every brother and sister in here to resolve themselves, to seek after you, and to give full effort and intensity to becoming more like you, to realize and to achieve the awe factor of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you, Lord.
May you graciously form Christ in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.